This is Slashers, your new favorite podcast about your new favorite horror media doing new movies in the new year. My name is Jake, and with me, as always, are my esteemed colleagues, co-hosts, and cohorts, Adrian, Doug, and Adam, the ADA team. Say hello to the mutant goons from beyond. Hello, all you wonderful mutant goons from beyond, and ooh, we've got so much nude beginning and nude blood for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> hey, uh, how you doing? <laughs> Hi, kittens. You ready to get squishy? Yes, that is a very appropriate adjective for both of these movies. And thinking back, I think I've just figured out why. I've decoded the matrix as to why the Friday the 13th series was my favorite as a young lad. Because, oh my goodness. This is such a gift, and it was so fun to watch these at my real job today. Ooh. It's the gift that keeps on giving with every rewatch. And let me guess, like, your co-workers walked in on the part with Deborah Voorhees and the guy making making winky time on the mat. <laughs> so that all, people always walk in on that part. Like, what are you watching? My very Christian co-worker <laughs> who blesses me multiple times uh, a day and week came in to say goodbye for the day and was like, okay, goodbye. And I was like, ah! But luckily, my monitor <laughs> faces the other direction. But yeah, I love Deborah Voorhees. I mean, so she thought all these people who went into the new beginning auditions didn't know it was Friday the 13th till after they were cast. And it was apparently shot in the title of Repetition, which is kind of funny in its own right. So this is just some cheeky casting director who's like, yep, I'm going to make people take a second glance at these credits on this movie. But it, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Sorry. Let's go back. This week. We are doing a goddamn debate. The first debate on slashers, which I have wanted to do forever. Now, I am a professional debater. Some might say I'm a masturbator. Now, we have Adam, who is going to be advocating that Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, is the superior movie, while Doug argues that Friday the 13th Part 5, The New Beginning, is the superior movie. I will be your moderator this evening, and Adrian will be our soldier, so we have to have a winner because there can be no ties. Did I leave anything out? Sounds about right to me. Yeah. We'll get into the criteria schmiteria at the end after we go through these movies. So, Doug, do you want to just talk to us a little bit about your film since it comes first chronologically in the series? Yes, it definitely made me come first, too, because a little side story. <laughs> this was the first movie I ever masturbated to when I was in puberty. <laughs> yeah, it was the first film. It, it was the Deborah Voorhees uh, scene. So, you know, a little surprise there. Yeah, I remember. Like, so uh, definitely gives you some wet dreams. She is breast in show. But yeah, so Friday the 13th Part 5, it's it's considered the black sheep of the franchise. And one I happen to, I mean, I agree on, and that's why I love it. Besides the first one in Part 8, this is my favorite one here. And I, I seem to love the bad ones. <laughs> but yeah, Friday the 13th Part 5 is just everything you'd expect from a 1985 slasher. Where uh, honestly, the MPA cut it, but the way it is, it's just it's so slimy. It's so greasy. It's so uh, like backwards perverted. Uh, Like, for example, you have Ethel and Junior and then all the characters on here. Unlike the other Friday, the 13th films, every single character in here is in that halfway house and they're all crazy. All of them have a weird symptom. Uh, Some other ones stutter. For some reason, if you stutter, you're you're considered an immense institute. (laughs) God damn it. So. So yeah, all these characters in there. So every single character has a reason to do what they do. And it just makes them weird. It feels like a John Waters directed. Yes, it does. 
Yeah. And with that, you get good characters. You get you get, you know, pretty cool Italian style kills. What I mean by that is that uh, those Italian zooms, you know, when they zoom in, every single kill has a zoom in real yeah. close. And I like it. Yeah. Sometimes to its discredit, though, I'll, I'll, I'll say, because some of the times it's like, I would rather see the guts, but obviously the cost. And you mentioned the MPAA, which butchered a lot of this film especially your friend Deborah Voorhees, because if I'm not mistaken, she had a three minute sex scene in the woods. They literally shot porno outdoors. Yeah. And and that brings up another topic here. Uh, the director, Danny Steinman, he did porn in the, or he directed porn in the seventies. <laughs> Color me surprised. <laughs> yeah. No, I, no. If you see him in real life, you're like, Ooh, I don't, I don't want to see this guy in a porn. <laughs> Looks worse than Ron Jeremy. Oh, geez. But, uh, <laughs> but the funny thing is, what, what makes this movie so crazy is, I, I mean, on, everyone's seen the movie, so I'm going to give spoilers. Henry. The, it's not fucking Jason. It's an imposter. It's it's the paramedic uh, who works, you know, in the in near the mental institute there and his son gets killed. And uh, basically, you could say this whole movie starts because of a, a, a fat kid with a candy bar. <laughs> yeah. And sticky fingers. <laughs> And sticky fingers, yeah. And uh, the the killer of the kid it doesn't nothing happens to him, but everyone else suffers and dies. Which is the craziest <laughs> fucking part. Yeah, so, so it, fast. It, it's just like a it, it. It's so trashy and so sleazy. This is the movie that you want to see with a crowd. And honestly, that's where I found so much respect for this movie. In my teens, I went to this place, Cinema Wasteland. It was at a convention, and they had a screening in like this little hotel room lobby. And maybe about 20 people were there. The director was also there. And uh, this was like in 2008, 2007. The funny thing is, like, after seeing it with a crowd, everyone was laughing. Everyone was picking up cues. So it was more like a midnight movie type experience where people are in on the joke. And the director even said that an initial notes like uh, in pre-production they wanted to make roy the guy who think the guy who imposters jason high on pcp and that would explain him breaking down doors <laughs> and i said oh yeah that would be like when he told me that i'm like that's that's like the greatest thing ever a guy impersonating jason on, on pcp and i guess once he said that paramount's like no <laughs> well i mean respcp tell you what it means to me <laughs> tell you what it means to nancy reagan oh god <laughs> Yeah, and another thing too, if you play the Friday the Thirteenth uh, game, the new one, Roy's probably the best Jason on there, and 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 people are starting to realize it now because I see the Roy stuff on uh, you know trending on Instagram and stuff, and uh, now they make a Roy action figure. In fact, I went to a convention a few years back. I think it was L.A. Scare L.A. or something like that before. No, it was something way before that. And uh, it was all the Jasons or all the people that were still alive that played Jason. And they're all in this little square of a room. And I walked in there and, uh, you know, I saw the, you know, the guy, the guy who played the kid in the first one and then the second one. And then all of a sudden uh, Dick Weand was there. Dick Weand was the guy who played Roy. And I turned, uh, there was quiet in there. Kane Hodder was in there, too. And I said, Roy, you're the best Jason. You're my favorite Jason. And they all got up. They're like, what the fuck? Like, what the hell is that? And then Kane Hodder comes up and did his signature, uh, his choke, you know, and he yeah. chokes you in like all the pictures. Yeah, he came up and choked. And he's like, what did you say, boy? <laughs> Which is I crazy. The paramedic's the best Jason. Because poor Dick uh, regretted, openly regretted doing this movie and was very like lamented it until years later when people started to give him credit. But at the time, he was reviled. And can I, I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm sure this is going to be fodder in the debate, but it is so fucking stupid to me that people are like, it doesn't have Jason. So it's not Friday the 13th when Jason's not the killer of Friday the 13th. 
What? How do people not reconcile that? It blows my mind. Exactly. And I think this gives good mythos to it, too, because part five, you're expecting it. It's like, what, Jason resurrects himself again. By this one, it changes things up. And I feel like this is the only one that really diverted that way. I mean, besides part nine, but part eh, that's a totally different topic. Yeah. <laughs> but no, this one is just uh, it, it's like a real life one, because if you watch this, you could watch it by itself and uh, be like, OK, this movie stands on its own. Some guy pretends he's a famous serial killer. Yeah, here's the ti- the part where I shoehorn in a reference to Monster Squad, but obviously they talk about Groundhog Day in that, which is a parody of obviously the Friday the 13th franchise. And Sean and his dad talk about how they you know put his heart in a blender, watch it spin around to a beautiful oblivion, shoot it out into space, and piss on its ashes, and the guy still comes back to life. And that's this series, you know, like you get whacked in the head with a machete from a little kid, eh? You get choked and drowned, and oh, eh? get spirited away. Yeah, this just doesn't deal with it. It just has a different person. And you want to know where all that happens in one movie? (laughs) Yeah. Part seven. Oh, yeah, we'll get there. So as far as any kind of trivia or anything that you have on New Beginning that you'd like to share before we kind of get into the more narrative elements. Yeah. So some trivia I'd like to share on this was uh, originally, too, like like you said, they made it for part four to finish off, but it made money at the box office. So this one they made next. And uh, I just I really enjoyed the uh, direction it went in with with the whole uh, fake Jason. Another thing, too, this film is severely cut. Mm -hmm. Same thing with part seven. The MPA just butchered this one, hence some of the zoom ins and stuff. But if you could if you Google like uh, basically cut scenes and uh, you know, behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. There's some of the kills are in here are really gory. You actually see like the, the guy's eyes being gouged out with the, uh, the with man. the rope. And then yep. with the, he, I guess the, the other guy, the older guy, Reggie, the reckless, his dad, his eyes are pulled out. So yeah. instead of just seeing yeah. like, a, you know, a corpse without eyes. Yeah. And, and another thing too, I'd like to mention, uh, I guess a little trivia, but not so much, but uh, this film, I guess you could say there's some, there's some, uh, you know, equality in part seven, but uh, this film had the most diverse cast. I think uh, you got Reggie, the reckless, uh, you know, he, he's demon. a black kid yeah. actor, uh, demon. And you know what I mean? And it's not like uh, it's not like part seven where it's like, oh, they're a black couple. This one, they're just part of it. But demon and his girlfriend. And then the lady who plays the nurse is friends with Reggie, the reckless. You know what I mean? It just uh, it blends really good together. And it's not like it's like, oh, this is because of a specific couple. It's because it's just they're all living together. And, uh, you know, it's it's. It's, it's a melting pot of equality. And I, I really like that because, you know, a lot of films uh, didn't really do that around that time. Yeah. Do you like the fact that there is no romantic relationship in this? Like, I, I personally, I find it very relieving that it's just like people be fucking people be killing. But there isn't like an overarching like star-crossed lovers plot which i find getting so tedious in horror movies as a way of connecting people before they disconnect them with an x oh exactly and that's how i feel uh why why it's better than part seven this one being directed by a a, you know a porn guy he knows it's like oh people don't want to see romance people just want to get to the fucking they want to get to the sleaze and and all that stuff and uh yeah and the thing is by part five danny steinman kind of knew that you know it we're going to repetition it. You know, it's by the book, by the numbers, because 1985, um, you know, slasher films were you get your early 80s slashers, your mid ones, which are, you know, getting a little smarter. Like, for example, like Toxic Avenger, uh, Return of the Living Dead. You know, this film, Texas, Ch- you know, Texas Chainsaw 2 came out in 87. But um, yeah, so I feel like that's the middle part. Early, early 80s slashers. Then this one where it's like kind of winking at the camera a little bit. And then you get to 87 where it's kind of phasing out. But um no, the thing is, like, people just want to get to the fucking the kills. In fact, this film has one of the higher kill counts than any of them. Uh, so there's that trivia for you, too. 
Yeah, and actually, what's that kill count coming in coming out to? I think it was twenty seven when I was doing my research here. Could be wrong though. I have a little booklet. I have the Friday the Thirteenth box set booklet that shows the kill count on all of them. I think it was twenty seven. Yeah, I have it up there. I don't want to rip the mic out. So. Yeah, the franchise total is two hundred eleven. Yeah, Jason's like the highest kill count. Yeah, it is. But I think part five had one of the highest kill counts besides part eight. So yeah, because he's always killing people in pairs, right? In this one, so yeah, so it's like twice. Yeah, there are nineteen deaths, <laughs> albeit one of them Roy, and then in seven there are sixteen deaths. But 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 we also get shots fired. The flashback supercut, Mega Mix, greatest hits of Voorhees kills throughout the series, adding another seven on-screen kills, bringing it to a total of 22 Jason kills, <laughs> plus a kill by Tina killing her father. Also, Ghost Daddy coming back for that final. So you got some bringing patricide in there. Man. Yeah. Total that is such a thing to say, Adam. <laughs> You're making my hair dye sweat. You're giving me the Rudy Giuliani <laughs> as a lawyer. <laughs> Trial by combat. Yeah, I thought it was weird, Doug. Why were you filming in front of a landscaping business for this episode? But it all comes together now. I'm like, oh, shit. I thought I was at home. No, you're at Home Depot, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So narratively, for those of you who are ill-informed, Friday the 13th, the new beginning. Basically, the story structure is Tommy Jarvis has issues. So you get a brief cameo from one Corey Feldman who is busy filming the Goonies. So that was actually shot in a backyard in California. Yeah, it's a dream. That way you get him back because originally the whole movie was written for him. Then they aged him up a little bit. You find out that Tommy Jarvis from the final chapter ends up having issues. They send him to like crazy cuckoo camp. He goes there. It's like a halfway house. As Doug mentioned, a young man is murdered, but then bizarrely, they don't draw the relationship between those characters until after Roy dies. What do you think of that? Oh, well, I mean, that's the wonderful art of the porno director way. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> where it's just like, let's get to the action. Let's just tell the story and let's just fluff it up a bit. Here's the thing. There is no real direction with uh, the characters, because if you watch it again, um, there's no central focus on any character. You think it's Tommy, but then like he's 40 gone. minutes into it, he just, he disappears for like yeah. 20 minutes. So Very bizarre. Yeah. And, and like you said, no love triangle at all, at all which is refreshing because then you get these characters that they, honestly, the side characters seem like they came out of the three Stooges shorts, like um, not the Stooges themselves, but like the, the guy that always plays like the banker or the, or the lady and stuff like that. And uh, that that's what they feel like. Like you get Ethel and Junior. It's like, you big deal. Now eat your fucking <laughs> slot. You know, you tell him, mama, would you shut the fuck up? <laughs> and then you um, have uh, Vinny and uh, Joey, right? They're fucking morons which i love or no excuse me uh vinnie and pete morons yeah so all these weird characters then you get uh vic and uh, you get some really quotable lines in this film from all the characters it's like well you could just forget it rick just forget it yeah but i think you're really out of line you know what i mean like uh you have an audience doing that it's a lot of fun and uh, like i said that chocolate bar <laughs> and uh you know poor poor joey he uh he dies with the chocolate bar in his hand if you notice that uh when you when the paramedics pull the the, the blanket over his hands cut off but he's still holding that fucking oh, yeah. <laughs> so dark and so funny now do we know what kind of candy bar it was it was a mcguffin they made it up i think yeah it was I something made up. yeah okay i it looked like a baby ruth rapper to me but i wasn't sure if there was something specific I thought there was yellow in it, but I'd have to double check. But yeah, yeah. 
I just watched it today, and so I just remember it because he like put it on the log and Mr. Goodbar maybe. Which that guy was like? I thought it was a Mr. Goodbar. It is because it's got nuts, and he is (laughs) nuts. Nuts. Oh. And that wasn't a testicle joke for once, Adrian. I was making a joke about his mental status. So I was being ableist, not sexist. But but here's the thing. Why was why was Joey? In fact, I have to question it too. Uh, and I know it goes against me because I'm kind of judging against myself. But uh, you know, all these characters. What was their real problems? They were all in a mental institute. One kid stutters. The other girl has sex. So we're gonna send you to a mental institute. The one girl likes New Wave, and her only disability <laughs> is liking New Wave. Did you notice that? Uh, well, I can see your parents <laughs> saying, "How dare you? You you dress all punk and goth. You got Satan in you. We're sending you to the loony bin." <laughs> Yeah, the stuttering guy. What did he? He asked that girl. He's like, I really want to make love to you. Like, that was his problem. Yeah. He's a pervert. Like, I, I want to make love to you. Like, who the fuck says that? Like, I like you and I really want to make love to you. And like, oh. And then she turns him down and he's like all crying. I'm like, ah. Oh. Yeah, see, that's the part that I, I resent more. The fact that he <laughs> says it, it's like, well, they're intimately sitting there. He And he's clearly asking for consent. The part that makes him bad is when he pouts about it. If I could, if I could well, objectively yeah. invite someone to engage in coitus politely, and then if it's rejected, I can okay. politely accept that. I don't think I'm disabled, but if I pout like a man child and literally, I'm pretty sure he's weeping at one point, that becomes problematic. Yeah, he's crying. He was crying in the hallway. I'm watching this. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And this, like, I don't. I, I, I watched it. I hadn't watched it in years. I'm like, I don't remember any of this, by the way. So, but yeah, no. No, he, he shouldn't have asked her. You don't ask somebody like they're making out could be one thing. So, yeah, I mean, going down from uh, where we were at before, besides diversity in this film be- between the cast, I got to say the director doesn't skimp on the diversity either, because um, no matter what boob size you have, it's all in there. You got small cubs. You got a goes up to double D. So, you know, what I mean, the, 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 that's equality because most other movies show like girls with the you know, the Barbie style boobs and this one, you got all sorts. So yeah. <laughs> going in all directions, you have some facing forward, got some facing outward. It's all good. Yeah. And, and you Not get them. some uh, shirtless guys for the, you know, for the, for the crowd. So yeah. it's a mixture of both. And, uh, you know, like I said too, if for you, uh, I guess I'll use Ethel's. So that's one fucking ugly man that goes there. <laughs> you get characters that just pop up for no reason just to get killed. And what's great, so like there's this scene where he's like, sorry, just raw dogged you, babe. I have to go through a rock in a creek. And that dude is fucking sexy. So I'm like, you know what? If he wants to come inside me and then go through a rock in a creek, I'm okay with that. Yeah, she didn't even wipe. (laughs) (laughs) I remember as a kid, I was bad. I was like, oh, man, is there cum dripping out the side of her leg there? I'm like, nope, they didn't film that in there. So I told you it was going to get squishy. Yeah, well, she does get squishy. They get the the hedge clippers uh, in the eyes, which another thing, too, for you Friday the 13th game lovers out there, this is Roy's uh, weapon of choice in the game. You can run around with your uh, hedge clippers, even though it's used for like maybe two seconds in the movie. I honestly wish there were more because hedge clippers are great because you can stab with them. You can if you break it apart, you can slash with them and then you could chop like chop like this. Now, we'll move on to the rest of it. Apparently, what happens is that Roy sees the aftermath of his son being murdered. 
uh, his bastard son who he has been ashamed of, I'm supposing, and that's why the kid grows up institutionalized, and then it gives him credence to go on some kill-crazy rampage, but he hides it in the lore of Jason Voorhees, which you don't find out till the end. And then there's the expository scene at the end, which is almost reminiscent of Psycho, where they just explain everything in case you didn't get it, because there's no way you would get it because there's no story. Now, that seems to be the succinct synopsis of the new beginning. Adam, would you like to walk us through the statistics and schmemeble of the new blood? All right. So the story kind of takes off with a brilliant, just well-made recap of the series. You get some Corey Feldman action in there. You see Jason go down in final chapter, get some kills from part six. You get the wheelchair kill from part two, which is top three of the series. I'm going to say it. But uh, (laughs) then we meet a young Tina, Tina Shepard, who is listening to her parents argue and decides to run away from home and hop into the boat that is just docked outside. She also hears a a clear and distinct slap, which means that this guy deserves to die. Fun fact. Abuser. Abuser. So uh, abusive father comes running after her and runs down to the deck. Uh, But Boom, bam, surprise. Tina's got psychic powers. (laughs) So Tina just tells daddy, go fuck yourself. I wish you were dead. And oh, daddy's dead. So now flash forward about, let's say, what, 12 years, 13 years, maybe. And no, that was a lot less than that. That was that was reaching there. We meet Tina, who has been institutionalized also like Tommy Jarvis, but you know, Tommy Jarvis didn't have superpowers. So she's winning that Actually, one right there. Um, I'm gonna argue with you there. While this girl might be Jean Grey, I'm pretty sure that Tommy Jarvis is the morph of this X-Men because he goes from looking like Corey Feldman to whatever the fuck the actor is in five, and then to the goddamn sixty Tom Matthews. Didn't uh Morph die in like the first episode Shut of X-Men? Up. Wolverine, back. pull back. <laughs> But anyways, is that not burning anybody else's mind? I had the Night of the Sentinels VHS, which came as a promotion at Pizza Hut. And so I would watch that on (laughs) VHS all the time. And when Morph dies, he always says, Wolverine, pull back. And I think about that every time I hear the word Wolverine. Adam, continue. Fantastic. Oh, so yes, flash forward. We have a now, I'd say, 18 year old. Tina, who has been institutionalized, uh, her mother has since become her caretaker, and a Dr. Cruz, who is actually a secondary villain in the film, which is a first for the series. So Dr. Cruz is posing under the guise of, I'm here to help Tina recover from her grief and feel better, but he's definitely trying to weaponize her and her psychic abilities. So they end up going back out to the house where it all began out on Crystal Lake next door to a whole house of partying kids over at Russell's uncle's house. You know, they weren't supposed to eat his food and they did, which was not nice of them. So they all had to die. And uh, pretty much all of them did. Following that, uh, with the introduction of Kane Hodder in his very first role as Jason and uh, bringing it to a whole new level. Kills savage the likes that had never been seen. I'm going to say it. Kane brought it to a new level. I will let you say that. Now, who directed this bitch? Do you know? Oh, it was, uh, started with a 
be Buechler. Yeah, Buechler. Uh, uh, Buechler. Yeah, John Carl Buechler. Yeah, he did a. Basically, he was known for special effects. Like he did the Ghoulies, and yeah, he did a lot of stuff. Troll, a lot of special effects stuff. So it's kind of nice to see him do, uh, directing a Friday the Thirteenth movie. And it it really works when it comes to that element because his like career, like Doug said, he did a bunch. I mean, he did special effects from Hatchet, Reanimator. There's tons of them. I think that there's a certain degree of what like you know. All of the movies that he directed, stories not so good, but effects good. And I think this definitely falls into that category in a lot of ways. And that's why I think part seven is just very much a boiled down essence of this series. Because you know what? It doesn't need story. It just needs great kills, boobs, and disposable teens. And it's got them in flocks in this film. There are some of the best kills in this series. Kane Hodder's very personal favorite kill, the sleeping bag kill. Got that right from his mouth. Um, well, did he see Jason X because they did it on steroids? I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. The the liquid nitrogen is my favorite kill and the best kill in the series, but came out of his mouth that the sleeping bag was his favorite. Oh, no, I'm talking about the sleeping bag kill in Jason X when he kills oh. two holograms with the same maneuver. Oh. Yes, so I guess yes, it doesn't count as a kill because our- the holodeck situation. I don't, I don't want to get too Star Trek on people because this is it a manifestation or is it not? Anyway. <laughs> um, it's also in the remake, too. They they do it again. So, But in that, Somebody it's only one person, right. whereas in Jason X, he's taking one topless woman in a sleeping bag that's a robot and hitting another topless woman in a bag that's a robot. Don't <laughs> woman no. explain to me about sleeping bag kills. It's my thing. <laughs> well, according according to the random guy who like saw my Camp Crystal Lake shirt last night at Tijuana Flats, told me that Jason X sucked ass. That guy is a. And I'm like, I, that guy I didn't ask. Like a fart. <laughs> that guy's a purple <laughs> fart. Yeah, like, this guy just told me. <laughs> <laughs> Did Dan avenge your honor and put him in a fucking Kimura lock and break his arm? No, no, Dan decides to pick the table that's like right next to him, too. And I'm like, oh, my God, now I have to look at him all night. (laughs) And who offers that? Who who sees somebody in a shirt and goes, hey, this movie sucks. Not any of the other movies are good. I feel like that shows like a glass half empty, glass half full. Well, I was going to, he was like Jason Voorhees, right? Because he saw my shirt and I'm like, yeah. And I was going to tell him like, oh, you should listen to our podcast. And he was like, you know, the, the one where he was in space, that sucked. I'm like. Jason X? You are patently wrong. I will defend that movie to the death. I'm sorry. I just had had to throw that in there. Adam, continue. I just want to explain you. Did you ever read Jason X versus the original Jason? There's a comic book. Oh, it's delightful. Oh, it's so good. Oh, man. But literally, you have the original, well, I guess not the original, but like, you know, kind of uh, probably final chapter version of Jason, the way he looks fighting jason x it is rad it is not well written but it's just fun visually that's all they're about man it's just fun to look at but yeah question well, back to the back to the hollow deck real quick yeah. no those girls are those those robots for those cgi like are those robo boobies or pixel nipples i think they're hologram boobies with probably okay. a hard light emitter oh that's for our dc Ooh. fans but, but, out there yeah. Yeah, and Jason X too. The girls even say they look at Jason when he goes in that hologram, and they're like, uh, "Let's go have some premarital yeah. sex." <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's, 
anyways, back to the story at hand, part seven. Amongst the other great kills was he puts his hand straight through a guy. That was Mortal Kombat before Mortal Kombat. And then, you know, Mortal Kombat went and made him a character. So it's it's art imitating art imitating art. Full circle, I guess. Okay. But yeah, I, I got to say this, this movie was just condensed awesome. Top-notch kills across the you're board. going too far. Whoa. <laughs> Let's get into the story. That's why we're here. Because yours wasn't directed by a porn director. It was directed by the guy who did Troll. So... Tina like goes to a place. There's like some problems. Her powers end up getting like, whoa, strong. Like as if this whole experience has been MK ultra ultra, if you will. And you find out that your Dr. Cruz, uh, maybe his first name is Raphael and he goes by Tedward. He has actually been tricking her and subverting her consciousness to make it more severe, manifest these powers greater. And she tries to resurrect a, a papa, slappy papa, come back to life. And she wakes up Jason Voorhees, who goes on a kill crazy rampage just to die himself, I guess, again. Did I miss anything? No, I think he covered it. I'm feeling pretty good about that. Basically, Jason ruins a birthday party. <laughs> yeah, before it even starts, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you get do it like Bernie. Move it like Bernie. You get Bernie as the doctor. So from we can have Bernie's. Oh, there you go. It's a great point. Yeah. Oh my God. I never you noticed know that. that. Did you? Yeah. It's just That's him with the mustache. Point. Thanks, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that Adam, does. I'm going to take a point after Tally for not knowing that. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Yeah. Is that in your notes upon notes upon notes, bro? Where's the paper? <laughs> All right. I've got more. The criteria for this evening's debate goes into three factors that I think are very important and I think embody what we do here at Slashers. We want the horror, we want the humor, and we want the legacy as it compares to the totality of the franchise. You can go in that order. I will allow you and facilitate you, and we'll just go from there. So, Doug, what about your film, The New Beginning, exemplifies the horror element okay well honestly with part five you're still and i think it does help around the year that it came out 1985 you're still not in the over exaggerated kind of you know by the numbers stacking like you were with part seven but what makes the horror with this one it still takes itself a little bit seriously because the thing is part five is essentially part one because you don't see like it's, a lot of it's not Jason not being shown. You're getting a lot of the feet shots in the background, yeah. a lot of the stalking shots. And uh, yeah, you don't really realize it's him to like the almost the hour mark that you realize it's it's a guy in a Jason mask. And um, it, it still builds up the tension. And there's still some decent uh, scares with this one here, too. I mean, granted, it's 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 more comical than anything. But, for example, when uh, they're chasing, uh, you know, Reggie the Reckless out into the barnyard and stuff like that you know it's got the perfect atmosphere it's raining it's lightning it's thunderstorming and uh, you know as a kid seeing that that's scary because another thing too you see you'll see in a lot of like when animaniacs or like these cartoons make fun of jason he's always having a chainsaw and you realize it's like well jason never had a chainsaw in any of the fucking films and in this one the back of the vhs cover had jason it looked it roy right a chainsaw so you're getting that image and you know when you see the back of that you realize it's like oh that's that's the Typical horror movie. That's what gave me the creeps. And uh, but you know, Roy still doesn't have a chainsaw, but but it's used on him in the film. So a lot of the pr promotional pictures and stuff made it like that. So it, it just made it more creepy. And the thing is, you still see Jason as a menace. 
unlike part seven where you know the whole scariness against it is that tina has fucking telekinesis that's not scary Ooh, throwing stones we haven't even gotten to that other criteria now let me ask you a question is the disjointed narrative helpful or hurtful in terms of the horror because for instance roy burns isn't even on screen until about 22 minutes into the film what do you have what say the well, that builds it, builds it up to a bigger, uh, I think, more tension because you don't really know what's going on. And in a way, it kind of feels more like life because life doesn't, you know, if, it, if you feel like it focuses on you, you realize a lot of things don't focus on anything. People are just going about their days. So why not jump to this character, to this character, to this character? Because you don't know who the killer is. And then you're introduced to new characters, you know, even later on in the film. So it's like, is this the killer? Is this kid? It just keeps you on edge, especially if it's your first time watching it. Um, you know, for the people that seen it in the theaters uh, when this came out out it's like okay so who's the killer i know people are getting killed but who's the killer these random people that uh, come out you know at the at uh, there's even one at a diner with a lady that just randomly flashes her boobs to the to the mirror it's showtime um, baby yeah it's showtime and then the, you get the cat scares too the cat jumps out what the fuck is a cat doing in the diner it's gonna you know, cat food all over the hair i wouldn't go there mm-hmm. but uh yeah and then uh you get the coke-headed guy with the mustache um, i love him yeah. i would watch a whole movie of just him Oh, yeah. And in fact, I do what he does. Like, if I have to get something from the top of my uh, mirror in the car, I go, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> it just kind of falls in my hand. And uh, yeah, so it still brings up the scares. It's not as scary as, hey, the first. I actually think the second movie is the scariest. Even though it rips off the town that dreaded sundown. Yeah, well, I think that's what scared me because I, I was I, I was terrified of the town that dreaded sundown. You know, yeah. that person's getting killed with a trumpet. Oh, a yeah. trumpet and a knife. Yeah, that was weird. But uh, yeah, so so part five still doesn't get into the satiric, like basically making fun of itself because, you know, part six and part seven did that afterwards. So it still holds its tension and scares. I'm sure if you were to so- show this to an older grandma, they'd probably be like, oh, you be seeing this, but it's scary. Because you know? <laughs> uh, it's still technically um, uh, uh, an early uh, slasher film because you really don't uh, see the killer until the very end. And I think the less you see of him, the better. Um, even though we know it's you know, some sort of form of Jason, whereas part seven kind of sits in the corner and waxes its carrot yeah. uh, to showing the, uh, you know, fully uh, zombified Jason, uh, which, which I, I'm not, I, I like that back to it, but uh, I think the less seen, the more your imagination uses. Cause another thing for you too, on the whore, it, it does make people use the imagination, not seeing it because now you can see like action figures of Roy. I know on the, the soundtrack they released on vinyl, it's Roy with the garden shears aiming down. You never see, Roy, you never see like a full shot like that, or you never see Roy carrying garden shears. It's just a real quick kill, and that's it. Yeah. And somehow all these people have made like artwork and stuff like that. They even use it on like some figures where it's like Roy holding shears, and uh, that's n- never shown in the movie. So I think the less seen, the more your imagina- imagination makes it scarier. So likening it unto Jaws, if you will. Mm-hmm. All right. And so, Adam, I'll allow you some ample time. Doug, you'll get a rebuttal, so don't worry. Adam, what do you think makes the new blood so horrorific, not necessarily horrific? Well, you just ended off on Jaws. Let's bring it right back to Jaws because it's got this whole kill where someone just has to go skinny dipping like they always do. And uh, it's pretty much a POV shot of Jason, just like the shark in Jaws, coming up to take her on down. That's a fair um, point. And if I may add, uh, Adrian... Uh, as a moderator, I will uh, occasionally intervene and exemplify certain points of these arguments. In that scene, you get buttocks and breasts in the same screenshot. 
and the framing. So that's a very important cinematic piece. Uh, much like you, you, the cameraman's using Dutch angles. It's very artistic. No one's getting points for tits and ass. Okay, I'm just gonna say that right now. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> that a half of Tut's movie. How can you do that? I'm doing it, Tally. Tits and ass are not on it. I'm sorry. <laughs> there was Bush. There was Bush. We got Bush. And this one didn't send troops into the Middle East. Hey yo, oh. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm getting political oh, guy oh. from iTunes shitty review. <laughs> You're just a soy boy. Beta. No, not soy boy beta cuck. What do they say? You're a bug bug man. man. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I never heard of that before until he told me. <laughs> I know we need to make a shirt. <laughs> oh, for sure. All right, Adam, keep going with what makes your movie uh, so good on the horror scale. All right. Uh, also, for a movie series that basically takes place at a campground, this was the first time anyone was killed with tent stakes. Oh. Two kills in a row with those, which was a nice touch, I thought. Through the neck for... Let's look that up. Jane and Michael. Jane caught it in the neck, and Mike caught it in the spine. Mm-hmm. I'm going out of order with this, but there's just so many awesome ones to count. I mean, we will go through it. I mean, Dr. Cruz caught it with a weed saw. It wasn't a chainsaw, but I'm calling it a weed saw because it was definitely the weed whacker chains or circular saw hybrid. Mom, Amanda Shepard caught it with the tree trimming machete, which was like, you know, Jason decided to go with the staff this time. Very nice. Uh, Russell caught an axe to the face, which was Pretty, pretty uh, gratifying. Sandra had the, the skinny dipping. Eddie, the nerd who kept talking about all the sci-fi stuff and uh, Throngar, uh, he caught the machete to the neck. Maddie caught it off screen with a scythe and then she was nailed to a tree, which was pretty dark. David the Stoner caught it with a kitchen knife, very reminiscent of Halloween. Uh, but then he was decapitated and you find his head popping up in like two more scenes. Which is pretty great, I felt. That was a nice touch. Kind of playful. Uh, his, yeah, I mean, his girl, Robin, post-coitus, post-smoking, uh, gets tossed out of the window after one of the, oh, kitty, it was just you moments. So, I mean, it's keeping it classic. It's hitting all the notes. Now, do you fear that some of these kills tread into the category of humor? <laughs> You know, I'm saying uh, there's definitely one that is straight up humorous, and it is when Kate gets the party horn just like rammed into her eye socket and it honks (laughs) as it goes in. It's perfection. But um, her boyfriend, Ben, uh, the, the kill right before that, like Halloween 4, we get Michael Myers crushing Brady's head, but like Voorhees goes like gallagher show with his bare hands on yeah. ben's head and just blood spurting out I, i'm sure they cut something out of that i i'd really love to see a master cut of just all the lost footage in this whole series because there's got to be some brilliant work in there but one of the ones that really frustrates me with this one is eddie when he gets struck in the neck with the machete it cuts so abruptly that you barely dr even cruz recognize it also happened. when he catches it with the weed saw like they ca- they cut before you even see the blade really hit him. So, yeah, I mean, those yeah. were two of the weaker kills in the movie. But still, like I said, with the master cut, we're ranking in at 22 Jason Voorhees kills. Now, I'm going to levy it to both of you as far as atmosphere. 
What do we think as far as the depiction in our films? Doug, a lot of your kills take place during the day. What? Yeah, say well, you? I can say it definitely yeah. hits close from home because uh, it, it looks like it, it was filmed in, uh, I believe, uh, Central California. So a lot of orange trees, uh, a lot of right. daytime sun, like you said, too. So consider it your midsummer of the Friday the 13th films. And another cool thing, too, like I said, the atmosphere of this one is you don't know what's going on the first, you know, the first time you watch it. And still, even after all these times watching, you still don't know what's going on. So it's the atmosphere of, oh, this, this, uh, this halfway house in the middle of an orange grove in the backwoods there. And uh, it still keeps that kind of scary atmosphere because later on in the film, when Roy's running around the house breaking stuff, you know, the lights are all out. Uh, it's like I said, the, the thunderstorm and the rain. You do get your creepy barn atmosphere, which I guess, you know, you could say you got that in the seventh one. And uh, overall, it's like it falls into that weird. I honestly, I feel like it's the weird humor that Return of the Living Dead has. For example, it's like, you know, these characters are playing these characters, but uh, they get killed off pretty in a it, pretty much in a mean spirit. For example, Demon and his girlfriend, like it's just a random scene. But this is the only film that someone gets killed on on the shitter and uh, singing. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Where it's it's funny, but then it just gets really fucking mean spirited. Like, why, why is Roy killing? This guy that had nothing to do with anything, you know, while taking a shit. It's like, you don't kill a guy while he's shitting. That's scary. See, that's my gripe. Roy's M.O. makes no sense. He's just going ballistic and they, like take out everyone at the halfway house. But like these these citizens, nah, you're getting sloppy, Roy. Well, see, and that's why I wish it was, uh, you know, the, the director's original intention was to make Roy high on PCP. Because <laughs> then it would, you know, that would have worked. That, real story. that yeah. does add that to could it. Be a that would have worked. A great subplot. Now, Adam, what do you say as far as the atmosphere of your film? Am I really supposed to be scared of people being in a tent? <laughs> Makes you scared to be in a tent, but not of the uh, probably the body parts or contents left inside. But uh, atmosphere, I think they kept it pretty classic. Uh, e- you got your dark and stormy nights. You got your disconnected power once Jason just tears it out of the wall. It felt classic. It felt right. It felt Friday to me. It was just, again, concentrated essence. I felt they did a lot of kills in the woods, which was nice. But yeah, I felt it was definitely just a classic Friday feel. You had your, your kills in the lake. You had your kills in the woods. You had people being tossed out of windows. You had people killed in kitchens. You had people killed in basements. You know, it covered all bases. I, I thought it did really well with just using the house, like uh, putting Jason through the stairs when that final showdown was, uh, I think it was great use of the set. And um, I don't know. I, I just feel it's very classic. It, be what it is. The series knows what it is at that point. And I just really respect it because it's just giving fans what they want when they go to see these movies. Right, now, my final note on horror, I would be remiss if I did not talk about the Jason of the film. Doug, you have a slight advantage in that you have two Jasons and no Jasons. What do you think about the character designs of, I guess, Dream Jason and Roy Jason and how they're depicted on screen? Yeah, so that actually brings up a good thing here. So the the Dream Jason, uh, you know, that's the real one. And he looks very much reminiscent to, uh, well, it's Ted Morga playing that Jason in there. But uh, he looks very similar to the one from part four. So in a, in a sense, you do get that, Jason. You know, you get the, the worms coming out of the eyes, which I always thought was really uh, nightmarish. And right off the bat, 
right off the bat, like part seven summarizes past kills in the films. But with part five, you get your dream sequence and then you get those uh, two other guys that are randomly killed right in the middle. So that adds is the kill count of the guys in the dream. You get a screwdriver to the neck and you get a the machete to the gut. And that's and that's its part five's first kills. And you get that right in there. And and another crazy thing, too, is besides part seven, Jason, where he's more like a, he looks more like someone who would be on the cover of a meatloaf album. Uh, you know what I mean? It's this godlike Jason. But with part five, you first get your dream, Jason, that gives you the jump scares in the beginning. But then you get Roy and you don't realize it's Roy. But what's scary is that he's a real person. And he, Anyone, like if someone was crazy enough, you know, they could go into their workplace, you know, down to Jason mess, think they're fucking Jason, just go killing people, random people, too. So and, and that's what makes it scary, too, is that he was just killing random people, hence making him the scarier Jason, hence making it the scarier movie. <laughs> there we go. Now, Adam, you have the benefit of having not only a Jason, but also an unmasked Jason at that. How do you think that your depiction of the classic hockey mask clad warrior makes your movie better? Well, I, I mean, I think he just looks all around badass because zombie Jason is hands down the best Jason. Uh, and at this point, you see his spinal cord just hanging out, all the bones and gore and everything. And when Tina breaks off that mask and you see Kane in these prosthetics, and everything, it, you could tell that it was directed by someone that did special effects because it looks fantastic. I mean, Jason doesn't look better unmasked in any other movie, in my opinion. He's intimidating. Kane brings that breathing body language of intensity to the character. And I just... I love it. I don't care what you say about the movie. I, it's not even my favorite Jason, but I think it is the best Jason of the series in the film. Fair argument. Now, Mr. Doug, how is your movie superior in the realm of humor, which the Friday the 13th movies are notorious for? Yeah. So with this one here, you get more of like a um, I, I want to definitely say like the 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 oddity of it because if you see this with a crowd of people they're going to repeat lines that just don't make any sense so it's the uh the humor is i guess with the audience like for example the the two guys that look like they just walked out of uh, west side story you know their their car stops and they, one of them has to go take a shit in the woods and the other one uh, they're fixing they're fixing the engine and they're going a rat a tat 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 too like it's just what the hell is this um so you know what i mean it's just off like off off-brand humor because it just doesn't make sense and then you get the ones that wink at the camera <laughs> you know what i mean and then you also get ethel and junior some great one-liners there too and then when junior's running around with his motorcycle he's like he hurt me mama <laughs> you know she's like i am junior shut up i am making your goddamn dinner what the, shut the fuck up and she's like she's like just throwing stuff and they're like what the fuck is she even making she spits in the soup too she's uh. like, you're gonna like my damn stew she has carrots she like it's just like a looney tunes uh there, there's humor that, that reminisces back to looney tunes that's what it reminded me of and that, that brings up too because a lot of the side characters they're all like the side characters from the three stooges shorts and uh you know just oddball even the cops are weird too they're laughing at ethel when she's like i got a bomb on me i'm gonna blow us all up you crazy fuckers so you know and they just all like oh that crazy ethel and it could have just paused like that like a like an 80s sitcom <laughs> you know and that's where it comes in you can kind of cosplay all these uh characters uh you know junior and then you got tommy jarvis who doesn't say a word so that, that's the funny thing. He's the leading guy. He doesn't say a word, though. I think he maybe has like 25 lines and, and if not, maybe even less than that. Um, and then you get the humor of uh, a dual duet in a shitter. 
So, you know, uh, ooh, baby, ooh, baby. And that's a lot funnier than a hey, baby, hey, baby. Ooh, Perhaps baby. the most quoted ooh, line baby. of any installment in the Friday the 13th franchise, those damn enchiladas. Now, Adam, how is your movie funnier? <sighs> you know, if funny is just all... I guess subjective. I mean, you see someone getting swung against a tree in a sleeping bag. That's that that's funny on a lot of dark levels that'll probably get you in trouble in a lot of places. Or you see someone just put their arm straight through a guy. Or but you know, but funniest kill uh, I wanted is definitely going to the the party horn in the eye with the honk honk. Uh, as far as the other characters, it, there wasn't truly that much epic comic relief. I mean, you had Eddie just babbling on and on about Throngar and highly evolved protozoa. But yeah, wasn't so much funny. I, I think the kills were supposed to be darkly humorous and very tongue in cheek. And I think that's where it was. But also there was a lot of, a lot of what I call because of course moments. It's like, oh, I have to go pee after having sex. I'm going to go over there all the way over there because of course but they walk past the calendar right in the beginning and what day is it? because of course it just it's it's self-referential it knows its own horror rules and stepping stones i i, I think it's just fun all around in that way okay but does part seven have a line with a where they're all sitting at the dining room table and they all stare at the empty chair and they're like you don't set a plate for a dead person <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but that just straight up my guy directed Troll, but that scene just reminded me of Troll too. You don't (laughs) piss on hospitality. Yeah, they just just all kind of sit there, and then uh, yeah, like like I said, with part seven, it's got its it's honestly like it's the ending is cringy to me for part seven. It's always bothered me because Adam, you mentioned before the uncut stuff is actually on the uh, the the new Blu-ray set. You can see like it's it's in VHS form. But you could see it. And the thing is, at the ending, when the dad gets dragged down, he doesn't have any makeup on. It's like you've been underwater. Why the fuck would you not have BTK and stuff? But in the uncut stuff, he's all decayed. And I guess MPAA cut it and told him to redo it. So, All right. So that actually brings us to the next point. And this is where I think you guys are going to enjoy. You get to attack. Interjecting. One- no, I have. I have a point. You I can. Have a point that needs in this category. In the category. Oh, God damn okay. it. Because this category is how does your film stand up against the rest of the franchise? And ergo, in the structure of my criteria, I planned this. Fuck boy, let me finish. Now, (laughs) I will allow you both an opportunity to not only justify your movie, but condemn another movie and establish why yours is superior, at least in the ranking and hierarchy compared to the totality of the Jason Voorhees cinematic universe doug you start all right well <laughs> what pulls the legacy is that this one uh oddly being the black sheep you get your uh you get your roy burns uh jason so he makes it different because the thing is besides the other films and, and the first one you get jason's mom uh which is an angry baby boomer killing people uh you get this one as a angry uh <laughs> uh gen x certain no, i don't know what he is but uh yeah he another dad uh, that's angry. So, and all the other Jason movies, they're all Jason. You know, this one is Roy, and he's like a side character. But that's what makes it so different because that's even if people don't like it, they'll say, "Ooh, this is a movie that has that imposter Jason in there." And uh, yeah, 
So that's what makes it stand out. And I, I feel like it's gotten a lot more love now with all the action figures and, and the video game coming out because Roy's the best killer. Yeah, And one thing I've always wanted, and I know it would go too far. I, I know that this would ruin the movie, but I've always thought it would be very fun if Pamela Voorhees was Joey's mom. And then that was what was revealed at the end instead of Roy being the dad. If you know Roy is the dad from the beginning and then you got the crazy, obviously I'm looking at this over 30 years removed, but I digress. Adam, why do you think that your film is superior in the totality of the circumstances of the franchise? Okay, I'm, I'm calling it superior to five first for a couple of reasons. You keep bringing up uh, Roy in that, uh, that video game there. Who, who did the motion capture for that? I think that was Mr. Kane Hodder. That was Mr. Kane Hodder. Yeah. <laughs> look on Doug's face of like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Kane's even a better Roy than Roy, man. Holy shit. You know, and uh, <laughs> you, you, you're calling bullshit on uh, Ghost Dad, but I'm saying Ghost Dad is still more contextually believable than Roy being able to get a Hollywood quality skin cowl to go along with that mask. Without the internet, in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, in a matter of three days, it doesn't doesn't make sense to me at all. So that's why I'm saying. But uh, you know, but as far as it goes, seven, I think it's one of the greater entries. Honestly, I think the series really starts to get fun towards the end before it goes completely off the rails. It's beautiful before it explodes. It, it's got great kills. It's the first appearance of Kane Hodder as Jason, which is just legendary. It was the first time that Jason ever went up against someone with other supernatural powers or just another supernatural entity like Ghost Dad at the end. I mean, it makes sense in the universe. I mean, if Jason can come back as a zombie, why couldn't there be other ghosts at Crystal Lake? It could be the... It, could be Crystal Lake giving Tina the strength to her powers. It just it makes the universe seem a bit richer with a little bit more of that in there. And, you know, I'm, I'm just going to keep raving about the kills too. Uh, sleeping bag kill, hole punch. It's it's a good time all around. And since I gave one iota of how I thought that Doug's movie could be better, Adam, you and I even discussed this today. I think that, that the failure of your film is to not make Tina immensely powerful from the beginning. She seems accidentally powerful, but making her a true tour de force, and you know that, and you're building to the crescendo of much like a Kong versus Godzilla, something like a Freddy versus Jason, where you establish there are two equal threats rather than somebody who's like, hey, she's a little girl who did this one thing once to I'm a fucking god who can make extra gasoline come out of a can, you cuck. Um, that's my little pitch. Now, Adrian, you are ultimately our jury. You have uh, the pulpit is yours. Okay. So while I was uh, listening to everybody, I was sort of tallying things. So this is not a slight against anybody. Um, I just kind of, I took my notes here and I'll share them with you later. If you guys really want to see what I did, because you know, I'm just on my phone. Um, so Doug, uh, you had some good points at the beginning. You talked about diversity, no love interest, kill count, blah, blah, blah. So one, two, three, four, five. I was going to say, it's, if it stacks in my interest, this is also the first movie to make me come. When I, <laughs> <laughs> Doug, I counted it up with, with your come statement. It's 27 <laughs> points. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Because now I can't let my mother listen to this. One. <laughs> okay. So let me put the toll here. So Doug has okay, 27. Hold on, and- Adrian. I resent that. If anybody, <laughs> your mother 
should absolutely listen to this episode because if it wasn't for the juxtaposition of your mother and someone's come, you wouldn't exist. Oh, you're disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I meant to say that this is the first time I ever uh, uh, sprung a stork. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Adrian's about to choke right now. Yeah. Oh my God. You're so gross. I say that. You okay. had this whole episode oh. to drink water and you wait until we get to the cum talk at the very end. We're all our parents' pet cum. That's true, unfortunately. Okay. All right. So Adam, let me count, let me count for you. And I'll and I'll send this to you guys and we can like post it for the for the Patreon members mm-hmm. if they want to see my shitty notes. That's no, fine. actually that'd be really interesting. Um, I like that idea. All right. So you have Seventeen, Adam. Oh my God. Okay, so you're like ten points below. But no didn't we? I love you. Uh, what about those seven kills? We had that greatest hits. I'm saying uh, those kills. But you focus, and let me. Can I just critique the arguments here? Please, can that's the whole that point. I do for a living. Sorry to cut you off. Uh, this is actually part of the legal judicial process. A lot of people don't realize this, but one of the ways that a lot of attorneys like cut their teeth is you can go to jurors after a trial and a verdict is rendered. You can ask them, what did you like? What didn't you like? And I think that's something that a lot of people miss out on is the kind of learning curve when it comes to it. You don't just start off a good orator. So this is actually really cool. I'm very excited to hear about this. Sorry. Yeah. So I just, for me, I was telling points like for everything that I heard that I thought separate from the first idea. So for example, Adam, you focus a lot on kills and Kane Hodder just very like you know narrowed you pigeonholed yourself whereas doug like kind of took everything and ran with it and he looked at all of the facets of the movie not just kills and i and not because i say that i prefer doug's movie because i thought i did and then i rewatched it today and i was kind of annoyed with that one because while it showed them dead and the the dead body afterwards it never showed like any penetration and that is just awful but I said that, but like, yeah, like he'd stab somebody, but it wouldn't like it would cut away, yeah. right? But I guess that was with the, the, the MPA or whatever budget. So, which I learned today, I did not know. So, I would say I loved all the kills and I loved your argument, and you got like extra points for showing up, Doug, as far as like arguing that there's more kills because doing flashbacks the fact that we're just like gonna like because and the thing is too and guys and i don't want the three of you to hate me when i say this but jason is not my favorite so it's kind of hard to like impress me with jason okay shania twain let's move on that's why roy's (laughs) gotta impress you roy's gotta impress you that's a great point (laughs) wow Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, with with what you were saying too about the whole uh, going above and beyond there, it's just kind of people are kind of respecting it more now because it's a lot different from the other ones. So I guess, you know, besides the kills and stuff, there's an art to the kill. I know it seems like a little uh, since it's cut, it's like, oh, that kill's not very good. But if you watch it closely, it's very inspirational from the Lucio Fulci films when they get that really close zoom in, uh, you know, with the eyeball gouging and stuff like that, like they doesn't do in Italian movies. So it's a style, you know, it may not show much, but it's a style because you get that real close camera zoom. Yeah. Yeah. And also too, Adam, you forgot to mention like, and I'm not, I'm not critiquing you, but I really wanted you to mention it. I didn't want to say it to make it look like I was like taking your side over Doug. So I was trying to like be, you know, like neutral. 
you forgot to mention member and the the pick the in the kitchen when the guy's going down in the kitchen to get whatever and like the lightning flashes and then Jason's in the corner. That gave me chills. It's a great that moment. That always gives me chills that thing. I don't forget. And then when it happens, it's like so that atmosphere that would have like that is atmosphere and that one because that one's kind of ridiculous in its own way because I and we talked about this before the whole telekinesis thing is bullshit and yes yeah. Jason's Jason's magical but only Jason should be magical not everybody else like this isn't X Men I you know I just but why not <laughs> that's a true. good point that's I think true. by modern standards both of these movies work a lot better but you know at the time it totally makes sense why people reviled these now Adam I have to commend you because honestly. I really thought going into today before I rewatched these, I remember I fucking hate the Jean Grey movie. I, that's uh, like I'd rather watch Jason Goes to Hell than this one because for some reason my brain. You remember in Monster Squad, which I'm gonna mention again because it's my favorite movie. Don't know if I mentioned that a thousand times in the show. When Van Helsing, when he grabs Dracula and gives the thumbs up, that's what I always think of the dad doing when he pulls Jason down through the dock. I just think of dad going like, hey, I beat your mom, but I'm cool now. Um, but I watched it. I really I did enjoy it today for the first time, I think probably in my whole life. And a lot of it thing has come like from our discussion. So I think that honestly, you should be uh, commended because you're not really seeing a whole lot of modern love for this movie. But that's the great thing. Like all of the content that people are generating I mean, sure, we don't effectuate much on this show, but I think podcasts like this are helping movies like Halloween 3, which was often maligned, and you know, The New Beginning, which is often maligned. And hell, we even did last week, New Nightmare, which I think is great. So if we can, and if you have movies that you as an audience think should get some love and you'd like to have us review, let us know. We do want to do more cult films. It's just an issue of metadata. So if we have a guaranteed audience, we're guaranteed to do that shit. Now, Adrian, let's say I wanted to reward the winner of this debate with a Slashers podcast t-shirt. Where were those? You'll find those on our Redbubble account under Slashers Pod. And you have so many designs now, thanks to Adam and his amazingness helping us like upload that because I don't know what I'm doing. So thank you, Adam. And literally something for everybody so the whole family could wear. The whole family could wear, even the baby, even the baby. I don't think it's could wear. I think it's should wear. I think that it's the impetus is on you to do the right moral thing at this time. It's kind of a must. Yeah. (laughs) Even your phone and shower could be adorned in the vestiges of slashers. Now, where can our loyal followers reach out to us on social media, Doug? Ooh, you can reach out to us at Slashers Pod on Instagram, on Facebook. Twitter also has an account, too. And if I'm missing anything, you can get us on Apple Podcasts. You can listen to us on, on Google Play. Spreacher, I think it's called, uh, Pandora. So uh, just Google it. Google Slashers Podcast. You can find us and uh, on all social media sites. So uh, give us a hashtag. We'll uh, hashtag you back. Perfect. So for these goons, we got... Other boy art, Doug Vizarro, pathologically aid, and I'm Gacy Jones saying goodbye and good die.